Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Once upon a time, and I remember because I was there, computer games were something you played on your own, on your home PC. And then came marvellous graphics, and games designed by masters, and 24-hour across-the-globe connectivity. And, apparently, compulsion. I would play till I couldn't open my eyes, and then I'd go to sleep, wake up, and then do the same thing. I could play for... 16 hours a day easily. I wouldn't eat, I wouldn't go out my room. I stopped washing, everything. It's now officially called gaming addiction. And as with many addictions, it doesn't just affect the addict. I got trolled. You're a useless parent. You shouldn't have five children if you can't look after them. But if you've got somebody that has got an addiction and wants that substance, they're going to go and get it. Like an alcoholic's going to find a bottle of wine. Now the UK has its first ever clinic for gaming addicts, and those who run it are encountering problems that are far greater than even they had expected. Children may be so out of control, they are wanting to self-harm, they're threatening to jump out of windows, they are aggressive and violent to their parents who are trying to stop them from gaining. So the severity of the presentations we're seeing is far worse than anything I had expected. You're listening to Stories of Our Times and The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. Today, inside the first gaming addiction centre. Yeah, I remember sitting up at like 4am, like crying on my computer. And I I just wanted to get off and I was hating the game, completely hating it, going crazy. And I just wouldn't turn it off. That's Lucas. Although it's not his real name, we've changed it to give him anonymity. He's 17 years old and one of the first to be treated at the new clinic. There was a point where nothing was working, nothing was moving forward. And it seemed like there was no light at the end of the tunnel. We'll hear more from Lucas throughout the episode. But first, here's the journalist and Times radio presenter, Jenny Kleeman. I have been reporting on gambling addiction for a while and the person who runs the clinic for gaming addiction also runs the National Centre for 
gambling addiction. So it was only when I was kind of doing my interviews with her, she would occasionally refer to, oh yes, well, with my gamers, it's quite different. And I thought, well, what is this? And started to do a bit of digging and thought, well, this is something I definitely need to look into. The person Jenny is talking about is Henrietta Bowden-Jones, who's been working in the field of behavioural addictions for over a decade. She's Britain's go-to person on this phenomenon. Gaming disorder is a condition that leads people to lose control over an activity that previously may have been just an emotionally nurturing, fun game. When people lose control over their gaming, they are experiencing harm from the activity rather than pleasure. This means that their life at some level, be it in a sort of academic way, school children not going to school or not uh, handing in their homework on time, or be it more a social aspect of harm where they start to neglect their friendships, their real life friendships, and their commitment to their hobbies and their extracurricular activities because of prioritising gaming over everything else. She's a fascinating woman, has dedicated her life to studying behavioural addiction. She has been working in what is basically a crisis, a surge of gambling addicts and particularly young gambling addicts. So she's behind the National NHS Centre for Gambling Addiction, also the Young People's Centre for Gambling Addiction. And then in October 2019, she set up the NHS National Centre for Gaming Disorders. Through Henrietta, Jenny was put in touch with Lucas and his mum who we'll also hear from. When I interviewed Lucas, I was so impressed. He was so articulate and thoughtful and willing to engage. I wasn't expecting that at all. I was expecting someone very awkward, not very good at expressing themselves. And my heart went out to him because here is a child who is clearly incredibly intelligent, who has so much potential, but who has been really damaged by the compulsion When I was about nine, I remember starting to sneak on my brother's computer when he wasn't there and going on playing a few games. When I first started playing games, it was the greatest thrill. I still can't describe it in any way possible. Games can be so immersive and I remember playing and even something like a gunshot would trigger so many emotions because it was so surreal. It started to become more of an obsession. I would end up being on it for, let's say, three hours. And that's when I realised how like quickly time could go playing games. And it felt good. I found uh, a huge sense of uh, achievement in gaming and competitiveness, which I was really attracted to because I used to play a lot of sport. I found a great sense of competition. I was good at these games and I was a very competitive person. I think the biggest indicator for me was is all we ever talked about. It was every argument. At what age are we talking about here? 12, 13. That's Kim, Lucas's mum. We've also changed her name. Every day, every hour, it was constant arguing, fighting about gaming. And yet he's got two brothers that like gaming, but that was not the same. It was very different, the relationship he had. The others... scream it was dinner yeah it took them five ten minutes to come he couldn't get off just couldn't i feel like i use gaming as a way to avoid an escape and i found it quite hard to recognize it as a problem and i found it i i would see it as being somewhat helpful in a way 
the troubling thing that something could be so damaging, but I enjoy it so much. And that's when I knew there was a problem. When I wasn't going out with my friends, I would prefer to be gaming than anything else. I was ruining relationships with my family, with my friends. And then I could see that it really become everything in my life. Uh, I was such an energetic person that really loved sport. And I dropped all my sports to play games, really. When he was 14, he told me about his teachers coming over to the house and trying to coax him back into school. I just stopped going in some days and it became weeks. And then I just wouldn't come out of my room. I, my teachers came to my house and they tried speaking to me. I just wouldn't go back. So I then left school for a year and a half. And his mother, Kim, was tearing her hair out because as well as being a single mother to five children, she was trying to find help for him. She went to child and adolescent mental health services. She went to social services. She couldn't find anyone who could help her. I've been lucky and I've never personally encountered a damaging addiction in my close family. So it can be hard for me or anyone like me to understand the severity of addiction, the grasp it can have over someone's entire life. Has happened to Lucas. I would play till I couldn't open my eyes and then I'd go to sleep, wake up and then do the same thing. I could play for 16 hours a day easily. I wouldn't eat, I wouldn't go out my room. I, I stopped washing, everything. She tried so many things to try and curb his gaming and he would get physically aggressive with her when she switched the router off. His brother had to pin him down to stop him from physically fighting her to try to get to the router to switch it back on. It just felt, from my perspective, that the whole thing just seemed so much bigger than us. There would be many things to cope with, whether it was the food they ate, the time they went to bed. But most things can be resolved by talking, by listening, by sharing. But this just felt so much bigger than all of us. It felt totally uncontrollable and it's like nothing could go in. No rationale. It's like he left. He'd gone. He'd checked out. She's a psychologist. She works from home. She needs the internet to work. And at one point she drilled a hole in the safe so that she could put the router inside and have it still plugged in. And when she did that, he worked out how to hack into the Wi-Fi of a school nearby on the street. So he was still online constantly. I have to admit, at this point, I was actually shocked by what I was hearing. I had had no idea this was even a thing until I first spoke with Jenny about it. Here's Henrietta on the difficult reality she sees every day in her clinic. We see gaming disorder being mainly something that boys present with rather than girls. We tend to see people around the ages of 17 to 23. At the moment, we have roughly two people a week requesting help. And these are very severe cases which children may be so out of control, they are wanting to self-harm, they're threatening to jump out of windows, they are aggressive and violent to their parents 
who are trying to stop them from gaining. So the severity of the presentations we're seeing is far worse than anything I had expected. It literally takes over. And I'm talking about many, many hours a day. Many of the people we see are gaming 12 hours a day, 14 hours a day. Typically, the addict is a young boy who is gaming at home. And naturally, there's a toll to be exacted on the child's family. It has been heartbreaking to understand exactly how deeply the gaming disorder in one child impacts on the whole family. The disharmony that it brings to the family gatherings, even the immediate family, are enormous. The siblings really, really suffer because so much attention is spent, as with other addictions, on the person who is suffering from it. And also there is such a gap, you know, when people go on a family outing, and that individual, that child, refuses to go, that becomes very difficult. He says that actually the draw for him was the competition and also the immersive nature of the game. The fact that you could just get lost in a game and that time would just fly away from you. He loved that. And he had complicated things going on in his life. His parents got divorced when he was nine. I feel like when my parents split up, it took quite a while for it to impact me. And I never felt like gaming could be damaging at all, really. And when everything would be going on inside my house, as I said, I had five siblings. And it would be quite a crazy house. It would be a completely different experience just sitting in my room, putting my headphones on, just closing everything out. What we are often seeing are children who are caught in rather complex moments of their lives when things at home may not be so easy. So there's a lot of escaping of one's reality. I've spoken to many children who tell me that they've built a perfect life. They've got the most beautiful things. They look better than they look in real life. You know, their avatars are more attractive, more successful, and they find it very difficult to abandon this other self in order to return to their real life self and work on that. So, in other words, there's a possibility that the relatively chaotic situation he found himself in drew him to the gaming and intense gaming in the first place without necessarily explaining the addiction. Yes, I think that's really fair to say. That was something that made the addiction more likely, but there was clearly something inside him. So there's an interplay between the game, the family environment and the individual. What can we say about its similarities to other types of addiction? I guess the main similarity is that there are certain things that you might have that are inherited from your parents. There are certain predispositions that you might have that mean you're more likely to become addicted. So I know that, for example, impulsivity, if you're someone who's shown to be impulsive or have poor impulse control, you're much more likely to develop some kind of disorder. And then also, it's also to do with your family environment. The neurobiology of addictions does indicate that there are higher levels of impulsivity than in the general population. Mm. More difficulties in delaying gratification, in making the right decisions in terms of harm and in terms of health. If you have a history of addictions in the family, you are going to be more vulnerable. There's that genetic loading you're carrying. And we know that there are genetic links to impulsivity as well. So what we've been told by many parents is that these children Children are unable to postpone gratification once they come downstairs, they go into the kitchen. They'll 
often eat not just what is due to them, but also maybe their siblings' share of the sweets and cakes, etc. That is very worrying because obviously this might imply that they are the gamblers of tomorrow or the alcoholics of tomorrow. And so you've got the interplay between the environment, the individual, and of course, the structural features of the game itself. And some games are most definitely more addictive than others. Henrietta told me that when she opened the clinic, she imagined she'd only hear a few titles and it would be the same titles over and over again. I mean, we've all heard about how addictive Fortnite is supposed to be, of course. There's a far wider range of titles than she was ever expecting. And it's the team player games that are particularly addictive because there's an entire community involved there. And quite often you're playing with people in different time zones in different parts of the world. You don't want to let them down. You don't want to log off. But also there are certain games that are very competitive, that are very thrilling, very immersive, this kind of visceral thrill of being inside the game and the dopamine hit you get from trying repeatedly over and over again to overcome some obstacle and then eventually getting it, that it's an enormous thrill. Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. I'm Oliver Moody, the Berlin correspondent for The Times, here to tell you about a new podcast investigation for stories of our times. The Spider in the Web. The Hans Globke story. His daily routine was to draft bills and write texts. One of the forgotten Machiavellis of the 20th century. He did the Nazi salute. He signed his official letters with Heil Hitler. The man who helped to lay the legal basis for the Holocaust. You can commit huge crimes and nobody will punish you if you always stay with power. And then came back to build the foundations of modern Germany. An untold number of former Nazis were able to prosper. For more than 70 years, much of this story has been locked away in classified sections of government archives. It's an important reminder of the tension between morality and state interest. But recently, those archives around the country have begun to open up, revealing their secrets. If Globka were responsible for the deportation of any Jews, he should have been tried. The Spider in the Web, the Hans Globka story, a two-part podcast, out this Thursday on Stories of Our Times. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. 
Tap the banner to go to monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. So we have a young boy gaming 16 hours a day, carrying on until the point of breakdown. But he's not doing this somewhere away from the eyes of his parents. It's happening under his mum's roof. This fact initially led Jenny to have a similar first reaction to many people when confronted with this story. I had felt coming into this that there would be permissive parents or parents who used gaming as a form of babysitting, maybe even. And that wasn't what I found at all. I found really intelligent families, parents really committed to doing everything they can, who were really at their wits end, having tried whatever they could. Kim went on the news to appeal for help and she basically got ridiculed. You're his mum. Yeah, I am. And if it was my child, I suppose I wouldn't be letting him play on his computer, no matter what he wanted to do. I suppose that I wouldn't be giving it back to him, no matter what he wanted to do. I suppose I would be making sure that he wasn't in his bedroom on his own at any stage, no matter what he wanted. And she's quite tough, Kim, and she didn't let it get to her. She doesn't really care about other people's judgment, whereas I know a lot of other parents who are involved in the centre really do. But she was really quite taken aback that she was someone appealing for help with her child and what she got was uh, criticism of her as a mother. After she'd appeared on various news outlets, the online trolling began. I got trolled. You're a useless parent. You shouldn't have five children if you can't look after them. But if you've got somebody that has got an addiction and wants that substance, they're going to go and get it like an alcoholic's going to find a bottle of wine. Lucas's condition got worse and he ended up in hospital. Fortunately, there was an important development. Henrietta's clinic had just opened. You ring up and one of the members of staff there will assess you to see if you really do have a gaming addiction. And by that, they mean a serious problem that is sustained. So it's not just during lockdown, I was playing computer games for many hours a day. It has to be sustained over a very, very long period of time and also impervious to any kind of intervention. So I'm sure there'll be a lot of parents listening now who feel worried about it. But, you know, I guess the acid test is once you've had that conversation, do things change? And is it taking over your child's life? If you are assessed to be in need of treatment, then you get put into an age-appropriate group. So 16-year-olds will be with other 16-year-olds. The clinic is for kids aged 13 up. Although actually Henrietta told me that they get a lot of inquiries from very, very young children. She had to turn away an 11-year-old just before she spoke to me, she said, for being too young for the service. So putting in age-appropriate groups, four or five kids in each group, and they have group CBT sessions with two therapists where, and I think it's very kind of non-prescriptive and non-judgmental, but they talk through the reasons why they game and they talk about what's positive about gaming, which is really important too. Because again, unlike other addictions, there are real positives from being a regular gamer, which is what makes 
gaming addiction so pernicious because there are real benefits to it as well. You can't just write it off and say that it's all bad. What are they? Community. You have a group of friends who share the same interests that you really get on with. There are skills to be learnt. It's very competitive and you can get really good at it. So it's not all bad. It's not like gambling and taking drugs. There are real benefits to it. Here's Henrietta again to explain that important difference and how it changes approaches to treatment. With every other addiction, it's abstinence-based, the treatment. Every single other addiction, there isn't a single one where you can go, oh yeah, you know, take a bit of this, take a bit of that, but don't overdo it. You know, we don't do that with anything. If you've got a dependency, you will be so vulnerable to harm again that we stop you from doing it. But with gaming, that's not the case. We manage it with a couple of hours a day maximum because a lot of these people are so isolated that without those two hours, they will no longer have their social support and the harm will be too great. And this is working very, very well. We've already seen remarkable results from our work. And in doing international seminars with colleagues in Switzerland, in Taiwan, they are also working to a time limit instead of completely stopping. That's really interesting because that does make it unlike almost all other forms of addiction. Absolutely. And that's, again, why they don't practice abstinence-based treatment, because because of those benefits are there. The community is there and it would be too much to prevent them from playing altogether. So in the sessions, they talk about games that they like to play. They talk about the benefits they get from gaming. They talk about the reasons why they might be gaming. The people at the centre talk about what is going on inside their heads, the neurological effects of playing games. The treatment is virtual, so they don't need to come in person, particularly at the moment. But in general, we realise that because of their age, there are too many barriers for them to come to treatment personally. Whereas, you know, logging on, receiving a phone call on their mobile allows a lot of these young people to really open up, to really be able to talk to us from their bedrooms. So what can we say about its prevalence? I mean, if this is a relatively newly identified problem, do we know how many people are likely, how many kids are likely to suffer from something like this? Absolutely not. I mean, I asked Henriette this and she said, we have no idea. There isn't enough extremely good research on gaming disorder. One of the issues is that there are literally 27 different screening tools at the last count, and all measuring slightly different things. So, you know, the prevalence rates across the world can go from 1.5% to roughly 20% or slightly higher than that. So no one really knows that one of the things I'm really pushing for at government level is not only a large-scale independent study on gambling disorder in the population and in children, but a gaming one too, because obviously there's a confluence of gaming and gambling, particularly in the young, that means that we really need to understand the extent before we can understand the harm to society. We now have an NHS centre to treat this illness, and clearly Lucas is testament to the fact that it is an illness. But what can be done to try and prevent it happening in the first place? There's absolutely no regulation of the gaming industry. And the gambling industry, obviously, has an enormous amount of regulation. One of the things that gambling sites have to have is there are widgets that can 
block your access to gambling sites so you can't go on and gamble. And it would take absolutely nothing for the games industry to, because they have all this data on all the players and how long they're playing, it would take nothing for them to put a little notification up saying, you've been playing for six hours, maybe you should go to sleep, maybe you should have some food. But they're under no obligation to do that at all and they're not doing that at all. There is a fundamental problem in relation to gaming and gaming disorder. It, it Because it is so under the radar as an issue and because the people suffering from it are so young and because of the stigma attached to any addiction, there has been no real advocating for proper uh, regulation in relation to products and being able to stop people from doing something that's harming them. There are a whole range of measures that should be looked at and that's why a regulatory board of some kind that oversees individual complaints about products, that oversees the potential harm of different games and looks at being able to discuss accountability with companies depending on the products that are being pushed, looks at advertising of these games All of this, proper age verification is fundamental and I don't think it's good enough at the moment. So all of these issues need to be discussed, but it needs to have a board of experts to do it. Regulation or no, the National Centre for Gaming Disorders will continue to have people come through its door needing help. Lucas says they've really assisted him in curbing his addiction. I found them really, really helpful so far. And it's also really good to hear other people speak as it's been very isolated and alone going through all of this and hearing other people's experience and how it's also affected them in similar ways has been really good to hear. And the gaming clinic themselves, the two people who run the Zoom calls, uh, I found them to be really helpful so far in the group calls. We've talked about more who you are as a person and what the pros and cons of playing games. You've got to see the plus side as well as the negatives as well. The gaming clinic's been really helpful to open up your perspective on the gaming industry and the chemistry in your brain that goes on playing games. How did he strike you when you were talking to him about his addiction? He seemed conflicted. He knew the bare facts of it, that the gaming was really bad for him. But when he talked about what he'd given up, he sounded mournful. You know, he told me that the day I'd spoken to him, that he'd gone outside and had kicked a ball around for a while and that he felt really proud of himself for that. And it was such a tragedy because he's a 17-year-old boy and for him it's an achievement if he manages to leave the house and kick a ball for the day. I feel like I, in the future, I would play it. It's not like I would never touch it, but I I do feel like I'd like a life without gaming and I, I think that would be possible with the right help. I feel so good about the fact that he's decided that this is something that he doesn't want to carry on with and he's got a problem and it's a severe problem that he really needs help and it's him driving it. It's a first step, but it's a really big step. Mm. I feel really proud of him, actually, really proud. Because to admit you've got a problem and know that you need help is huge. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. 
with me, David Aronovich, and my guest, the journalist and Times Radio host, Jenny Kleeman. You can hear Jenny on Times Radio every Friday, Saturday and Sunday morning. We also heard from the director of the National Centre for Gaming Disorders, Dr Henrietta Bowden-Jones, and from Lucas and Kim. The producer was Chris Hemmings, the executive producer is Poppy Damon, and sound design was by Tom Birchall. Subscribe today and get one month free at thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.